I was talking to a guy that installs solar systems. That's what he says. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you install a solar system? What's your well, orbit? Well, if he installs solar systems, uh, we should probably make a temple to him and worship him. Yeah, yeah. There's some kind of godly activity happening here. Is there's orbits involved, and I don't even understand orbital math very well. And I've tried. That's some difficult stuff. When you've got fields interacting together, it's really weird. Anyway, that's side note. Um, solar systems these days don't mean planetary systems anymore. It means getting energy from the sun. Mm. Yes. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome back to another exciting second hour of the Personal Wealth Coach. Um, I'm really leading us to fall on our faces because we're probably not going to be as exciting as it sounds, but I'm trying, okay? This is the Personal Wealth Coach. It's in case you didn't know, that was the name of this radio program. We've only the said personal it wealth four coach. times, so it's fine. The pers- Well, you know, people are a little slow sometime on Saturday mornings. Uh, the Personal Wealth Coach is not only the name of a radio program, I think. We hope. Uh, we have on good authority from sources we deem reliable. Um, it is also the name of a registered investment advisory firm based in Salado, Texas, that is registered with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, which implies in no way that they approve of us or disapprove of us, just simply says that is our primary regulator and that is who through whom we are registered. Yeah, this is a simple statement that should kind of preclude all of that. Economists should never imply that anybody like them. See. Or approves of them. Or approves of them in any way. Because on the other hand, they're economists. But on the other hand, you know, but yes, but yes, economists have lots of hands. We're at least eight. We're trying to compete with the octopuses. Yeah. All right. right. Uh, the next, okay, so we, next one is that just because we're registered with the SEC to provide that. investment advice, that's what the whole registration is, doesn't mean we can give investment advice on the air. So why do we even Got say it? it? Well, because you have to know who we're registered with. And if we do give investment advice on the air, that's probably a really bad thing. Why? Because it's not private on the radio, one. Uh, two, if I give one of you advice, it's probably bad advice to somebody else. It's kind of like going to the eye doctor and having them take the glasses off their face and say, here you go. These worked well for me. It, it seems logical, but probably not. So we're giving education, not investment advice on the air. We're telling you how the glasses work, not giving you a prescription on what your eyesight needs to be adjusted to. Now, you're welcome to come in for an examination. Yeah. And we will fit appropriately designed fiduciary standard eyeglasses to your portfolio. Yes, yes. But it's not really a good thing to do on the air. So that was a, that was a really not a disclosure. That was more like a explanation of a disclosure, but that's good enough. So, uh, I know we're supposed to disclose in as few words as possible, uh, as quickly as possible and in a monotone so that there's absolutely no way that you can understand the stuff that the regulators believe it's vital for you to hear and understand. But But if you say them really quickly, you've met the requirement. Yes. That's all you need. All right. 
Yep. Anyway, let's go on with our disclosure. So that, that, yes, next disclosure is yours because you like to do... The deem- information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or reliability of said information. Nice. Uh, we don't pay for this radio program. We don't? No, we don't pay them, oh. and we don't get paid for it either. Uh, we've That's been crazy. doing this since 1997, and we do advertise on the studio's airspace to support the radio program. So we give ad- all of our advertisement is for the radio program, and then the but studio also advertises for the radio program. Um, I have a question from the end of last hour that I'd like to really just quick jump into because it's it's a good question. Um, it's from Catherine, and it's about solar. Uh, and I love that people are, I was talking to a guy that installs solar systems. That's what he says. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you install a solar system? What's your well, orbit? Well, if he installs solar systems, uh, we should probably make a temple to him and worship him. Yeah, yeah. There's some kind of godly activity happening here. There's orbits involved, and I don't even understand orbital math very well and i've tried that's some difficult stuff when you've got fields interacting together it's really weird anyway that's side note um solar systems these days don't mean planetary systems anymore it means getting energy from the sun yes um the uh just just as a use uh, useless trivia enough energy arrives in sunlight to North America in two minutes to provide the energy for the entire countries, all of them in North America for the full year. Now that's a useless trivia, by the way, because you can't capture all of the sunlight that arrives on North America in two minutes. It'd be really nice if you could, but you know, it's statements like that that make people go, why aren't we doing more? Silly things like that. Well, the reason why we don't do more is is expensive and that's to the heart of the problem. Catherine has a question. She says, we're considering going solar. It's a good time to be considering it. We'll probably use their interest rate promotion at 2.5%. That's a fantastic interest rate, uh, which we'll then try to pay off in the next 12 to 18 months. She says it's not a good idea to take a withdrawal from a retirement account right now. That is very true. Okay, so here's the deal. She's, she says she's moving into retirement territory she wants to create a situation that lessens financial worry when they're retired. Okay, here's the thing. This is going to require some work on anybody's part who is thinking about doing this. Don't go into this thinking it's going to be simple. The first bit of work you need to do is get an analysis on how much sunlight you get. Now, any solar company that's going to install for you is going to do this. If you're in this part of Texas, it means that you get a lot of sunlight, uh, unless you've got big trees. So you get sunlight. Then the next thing you want is an estimate on the number of kilowatt hours you're going to get from that. How much is coming in? How much are you actually going to be saving? How much are you producing versus buying? Then once you have that number, you average it out over a year and you say, this is my expected monthly savings. That involves a bunch of assumptions. We don't know what the prices are going to be in the future, 
But if you're on a contract with your electric company, you do. You actually know what you're paying per kilowatt hour. And if you are going to be saving X amount in kilowatt hours, you can get a dollar out of that really quickly. You can figure out how much you're saving. The key point on why solar has done so well over the last several years is that for the first time in history, with interest rates as low as they were, you could save money immediately by getting solar panels. This isn't always the case. You got to look at this. But if your payment on the loan to get the solar panels is less than what you're saving in electricity payments, then your, your bill immediately goes down, your overall payment. Now, you got to throw in some other numbers. You're going to need more insurance. Now, it's not exorbitantly expensive. You just go to your homeowner's insurance and you say, hey, I've got some solar panels. I need to add that. It'll cost you a little bit of money, but don't forget to, to factor it into what you're doing here. If after you've done that and you say, hey, the payment we're going to make on this loan is less than what we're saving. We're going to be in the black immediately on this. Then it's a good deal. And those good deals are hard to find right now. Six months ago, they were easy to find. Right now, they're hard to find. So scrutinize the contracts. Make sure you don't have early payment penalties because this, in the email, you're going to try to pay it off in 12 to 18 months. If it's a 10-year note and you pay it off early, you don't want to have penalties. So those are the big things. Um, don't meet with just one solar rep. One of the great benefits right now is there's a lot of competition. Another benefit that's hitting right now is Biden's just signed a thing saying, hey, we're suspending the tariffs on solar imports, which have been there since like 2005, um, because China was subsidizing solar so hard at the beginning of the 21st century. I mean, just massive amounts of money from the Chinese government going into the companies to sell it, and they were flooding the market with it, and no U.S. competitor could compete because they weren't getting tons of money from the government. Well, they were getting tons of money from the government. Never mind. Both sides were getting tons of money from the government, but they complained about it. So there were tariffs. And by that, I mean, absolutely competition in the solar industry in the early 21st century was abysmal. It was stupid, dumb, really, really bad. Um, people were just happy to get the checks from the federal government and forget about it. Well, it's a different situation now. There's a lot more people doing it, a lot more and newer technology Interest rates are going up. That's the wild card. So check all those numbers before you commit. And you, you've been waiting, waiting to add something. There's several aspects to this you need to look at very carefully. Number one, check with your home insurance company. Make sure they will cover the solar panels because you get another, we get another big hailstorm like we had recently here in Central Texas. And solar panels don't do so well in hailstorms and they have to be replaced. And you must not have been listening because I just said that. Not about okay. the hailstorms, but check with the insurance company. So well, I'm, the other side of it is you can't take it with you. If you're going to get solar panels, they typically, when, when I see the calculations on solar panels, typically it's 15 or 20 years. And over a 15 or 20 year period, you'll save this much money. Are you really going to be living in that house for the next 20 years? That's a good Are question. You, that's a pretty rare thing in this world. And solar uh, panels and, do not add dollar for dollar to the home value. Right. You, lose, you will you get about 90 cents for every dollar you spend on it, which is about the same level as putting in a new toilet. 
So it's, it's some of the best money you could spend without adding square footage, but it's still a loss if you're planning on selling right away. And if the cost of putting solar panels up there drops over the next five years, then so will the value of the solar panels that are on your roof when you go to sell your house. And there, here's the kicker that I find people just don't think about until I say something. I try to keep the kickers away from the solar panels. That's well, I mean, insurance gets involved at that point. The kickers are to the people who bought the solar panels. The loan doesn't transfer with the house. If you've got a 20 year loan and you're paying over 20 years and thinking my payments over the 20 years make for a savings as we go forward. When you sell the house, you still owe the money despite the fact somebody else now has your solar panels. You you definitely just added the point. I totally forgot to mention this. If you're not getting this in a loan through your mortgage company as a home equity loan or a refinance of some kind, if you're getting that extra low interest rate, it isn't a lien on your house usually. The mortgage company doesn't like that. It's a lien on you which means when you sell your house, you may still owe a payment on that thing. So keep that in mind as well. Yeah, there's some, and, and the other side of it is, I've talked to three people now who put solar panels on their roof and were disappointed in the results in the, their electric bill. Now, there have been other people that I've heard of who have super low electric bill. The electric bill dropped to effectively $5 or $10. But check that out very carefully and make sure that that this is over a year's time yeah. or something. So it wasn't don't, like in the, and I would in say the winter. Don't expect it to be free because you're going to have nighttime payments and you're going to have daytime payments that, on cloudy days and all that good stuff. That's Yeah. The other, one other thing, one small thing, and, and I to me it's very obvious, but obviously it wasn't to some people that I had the opportunity to hear about. You are not secure against the electric system failing unless you buy big batteries to hang in your garage too. Yeah. Or somewhere because, else in your house. because you're still hooked up to the electric system. And if the electric system fails, your solar panel is just draining uh, electricity into the system and you will be just as cold and dark as anybody else. Yeah. And when it snows, if it snows and it snows on the solar panels, they don't produce electricity. Yeah, I have heard this term used very, very regularly when it comes to solar. We're off the grid now. Well, no, no, it, you're not because you're still hooked up to the grid and the extra power that you're producing, if you don't have a battery to charge it, it's going back on the grid. And you don't want to be off the grid if you don't have a battery because at night you won't have any power. So these are all factors that need to go in. If the batteries are as expensive as the panels, if you truly want to be off the grid, that's the way to go. But it's not cost effective right now. Unless we have a big power outage and you've got a business, then it might be. Um, and that's the, that's the thing that's really driving solar is it's cost effective. It's right on the edge of truly being cost effective. And over the next decade, it's probably going to get better. Um, but if you're looking at a transition in your life and you say, hey, I'm not going to be working and I'd like to get it done in advance... If you do this math and it looks like it works out for you, then it's a great deal. And I've seen, you you mentioned it, like I've heard of people that have had, I've seen a lot of, lot of good stuff on the solar area, personally, professionally, and uh, anecdotally. Um, I've also seen some really bad situations where people should not have gotten solar. So it, it is not a one size fits all in any way. Just keep that in mind. Solar's great. 
And if you can find the way that it works for you, you're going to save money. You're going to have a high quality product. You just have to do it right. And that's, that's probably what you thought we were going to say already. <laughs> it, it's just don't go into this thing and say somebody offered to put solar up and they did a calculation and they showed how it would save me money. And I would say I would not have an electric bill or something anymore. Go to an independent source. I know that sounds like a pain, but go to an independent source and get another opinion. Yeah. And, and also there is a vast difference in quality between one solar panel and another one. This is a very complex area, uh, and it is full of people trying to scam you. So be careful. There, there's pluses and minuses to it. If you do it right and you have a house with a lot of roof space and you don't have any shade on your house, you've got a fairly good chance of doing okay if you do your homework very carefully. But if you're taking out a 20-year loan, do that very carefully and have somebody read that contract who can understand the contract. I would go so far to say if I were going to spend $20,000 putting solar on my house, which is what I understand the average cost is, I would have an attorney look at the contract and tell me what the contract said if I didn't know how to read contracts. So that's solar. You know, it's, anyway, yeah. yeah, that's it. So that's, that's uh, it's extremely good news for the long term because photovoltaic energy is getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And I don't think that's going to stop with, with gas prices, this, the height that they are natural gas, oil prices, it's more incentive to do alternative research. It, what is the alternative to the high expense? So does that mean that you're going to immediately see cost benefits? Not necessarily. Does it mean long-term that there's going to be better alternatives to doing what's high priced in the past? Yes, absolutely. If you go back to the beginning days of electricity and, and what we were doing to produce electricity, we found a lot cheaper ways of doing it, even burning the same stuff and eventually by burning other things and eventually by not burning stuff, by just mm -hmm. finding the energy. This is, a, this is a hunt. It's like hunting for any other mineral, it's how do we produce energy better? And as long as we have record keeping, we're going to keep better, getting better at it. It's going to keep getting cheaper. That's kind of the definition of progress in the economy is that we keep writing down how we messed up and saying, hey, let's not do that again. And then we tend to do better. Now we do come back and make those same mistakes, but it tends to take a while for us to do it again. Anyway, yep. that, that is the, uh, I, I think maybe the biggest story of this week is not solar, though. It's inflation. Yeah, we've kind of beat around on inflation for a while. And I think when the causes, the current causes of inflation wind down, uh, which is we, we need to produce more oil to meet current demand mm -hmm. uh, in the world because the Russian oil is going to be bad. The war in Ukraine, I don't think is going to get over anytime soon. I don't think Russia is going to give anything back. Uh, I think Russia is going to remain under embargo like Iran did for a long time. Yeah. So the price, the, the, quant, the, the supply of oil needs to increase or else we need to drive less. And I don't think we're going to drive a lot less. And we've talked a lot, a lot, a lot about other areas where corporate infrastructure is spending hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars, trillions of dollars over the last two years on infrastructure, new factories here in the United States. So when you see chip shortages, 
that's probably temporary. There's a huge amount of money being mm-hmm. invested into making them here so we don't have shortages because businesses don't like that either. And it's it's going to push the rush away from petroleum for, for motor vehicle fuel. Electric vehicles, we're going to see more and more and quicker because the cost effect, just like we're talking about solar, the cost effectiveness of not using gasoline is becoming more and more apparent as the price of gasoline goes up. So this will this will cause us to move to electric vehicles much quicker. And we're it'll just accelerate a trend that's already there. As a matter of fact, what is it, 2030? I think it is the European Union says no more yeah, petroleum-powered motor vehicles will be manufactured in the European Union on 2030. Now, yeah, people they're, are... They're already making some really big, painful decisions right now. If you're going to make painful decisions, you might as well go whole hog, I guess. And they're saying, all right, we're, we're not going to be on Russia's uh, dole or the United States if we don't have to buy this from either side or Saudi Arabia. We're happier. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm going to talk about something else, if I could. As yeah, it's a good time to change. Point. Yeah. Scams are proliferating, some of them legal, some of them illegal in the investment world. Uh, Let's just talk about the obvious illegal scams at the moment. There's a guy in, um, let's see, where was he? He's Georgia, North Carolina and Florida. He He took about $12 million from his clients. He was registered as an investment advisor. Um, His name is Christopher Burns. And he uh, divorced his wife, shut everything down, and disappeared in 2020. The SEC has said has got a court order now telling him to return the $12 million. He's on the FBI's most wanted list, and I don't think the SEC will be able to get him to return the $12 million because, A, he's probably spending it, and B, nobody can find him. Uh, he pretty, by the way, if you, if you want to do something fascinating uh, to give you an idea of, of, of what to be aware of, you can go to Facebook and look for Christopher Burns. Uh, he has on Facebook radio programs, uh, talks. He's still there. Uh, now, the guy's not physically there. They're, they're old broadcasts and old talks and old claims and interviews and talking about all these great things he can do for people. Um, it's, it's kind of eerie to see this guy two years after the fact, after with the, him being on the FBI most wanted list, still broadcasting steadily on Facebook. That is weird beyond my comprehension. Um, but he probably set it up. So what was he, what were they investing in? They were investing in promissory notes. How do you avoid that? If you are investing through an investment advisor, a broker, anything, whatever you're investing in, and by the way, there's a world of ignorance there. I talk to people regularly. This is blows my mind to this day. I'm investing in an IRA. No, you're not. You're not investing in an IRA. You're not investing in a Roth. That's just the that's just the wrapper. That's Something the, inside the of there is tax your investment. treatment. Yeah, the tax treatment. That's a very different thing than what you're invested in. And whatever is inside of it, if mutual funds, I don't recommend people put stocks and bonds in there. I'm certainly not crazy about it. In most cases, it's mutual funds. If it's a mutual fund, the mutual fund should not be held by the advisor. It should be held by a registered custodian. Two things. One, you should be able to find that mutual fund or that stock on Morningstar and note that it exists. Secondly, you should be able to go directly to the custodian, not to the investment advisor or broker, and see that thing online without talking to your 
representative, investment advisor, financial planner, whatever, you should be able to go there and see it. Or you should be able to be, you should be getting paper statements mailed from the location of the custodian, which is a broker dealer or a bank or something. And you should be able to call them up. They should have a telephone number and you call them up and validate that it's there. Uh, I am personally in favor of the fact that registered investment advisors should not hold the money you invest. Now, most, many of them do. Many of them, you invest through uh, XYZ company or one of the ones you see advertised uh, as an investment advisor, and they have a bunch of investments they've got, and they're holding it. Now, there's a problem with that. If they go under, you are an unsecured creditor. But if you have it at a custodian, an insured custodian of some kind, insured by the SIPC or something like that, your risk levels go way down. So number one, if somebody says promissory notes, if somebody says you invest in this and I have this really cool deal that's super secret and not many people are getting into it and it's paying high interest rates, uh, you can't see it traded on the New York Stock Exchange. You can't see it on Morningstar because it's super secret because it's so good. Run, don't walk to the nearest exit. Uh, That's number one. Number two, there is a legal device being offered that is very dangerous. And it falls under the heading of private equity or alts, alternative investments. They are not publicly traded. And again, here's the issue. If you're investing in something and you can't see its daily price posted both at the custodian that holds it and on some independent place like Morningstar, you are at significant risk. Because you don't know what the price is. If it is not publicly traded, it is not traded every day, if it is not something that there is a market for, whatever price you see on your statement may have nothing to do with the actual sales price. I have seen this happen, and I've only been at this 40 years now. That's all? 40. You need to get to it, it, sir. You need to get to it. I can't tell you the number of people who have come in unhappy showing me their statements about this what they used to call limited partnerships or non-traded REITs. They're now calling private equity or alts, alternative investments, not publicly traded. And they had a wonderful statement that said it was worth, let's say they had put $100,000 in there and they had $100,000 of value and it had been going up every year and they were really, really happy with it until they said, we need some money out of this thing. Or in some cases, years after the fact, they got a notification that their investment was worth nothing or maybe 30 cents on the dollar because it's not publicly traded. You didn't see the price of it every day. You couldn't see it on an exchange. You couldn't find it in Morningstar. You couldn't, Morningstar didn't exist back in the early years. I was in existence, obviously. But those are very dangerous. Alternative investments and private equity, there's a place for them. But the place is for people who have hundreds of millions of dollars and they want to put a couple of their hundreds of millions of dollars into their private equity or into the alternative investment where there is no regularly quoted price because it's not traded and you don't know what it's worth. You really don't know what it's worth until you go to sell it. And if you try to sell it, in some cases, by the way, the companies promise you they'll buy it back if you need the money. But if you read the fine print in their very, very thick prospectuses, presuming they have one, uh, you will discover that they don't have to, and they might not, and it might not be worth anything. And when you read something like that, don't ignore it. When you, you know, every private placement, private equity, real estate, non-traded real estate investment trust, limited partnership, or whatever you call them, with each wave of these things coming along, 
There has been a statement someplace in there that warns you, you could lose all your money. That's not a joke, folks. I've seen it happen. Some of them are completely legitimate. Some of them, very impressive looking, are completely illegitimate. If you can't see it traded every day, it's not liquid. If it's not liquid, if it's not, you don't know what it's worth. And if you don't know what it's worth, there is the risk at all times that it's not worth anything. Boy, that was a long-winded soliloquy. It is true no matter when we're talking. It's more apparent to people when we have hardships in the market. These actually, these scams need to be looked for at the boom time more than in the downturn. The downturn is when people recognize them. The boom time is when they make the decisions to get in them. And this is one of those things I was seeing the same thing you were saying that there's a highly targeted area in private equity, which is supposed to be going to really sophisticated investors. And it's going to people that have enough money that they would typically been been called sophisticated, but that's a number that hasn't been inflated. When I started my career, a sophisticated person was considered someone with a million dollars. I started my career in 1991. So we're now 31 years later and a sophisticated person is someone with a million dollars. Um, we've been talking about inflation. Evidently, sophistication isn't inflatable. Or do you agree with that? Uh, <laughs> not according to the government, anyway. Not according to the government. So and, and, what it just means is that having a million dollars through inheritance, because you have a 401k, whatever it is, doesn't mean that you're suddenly much more knowledgeable on how businesses run. I, in my many years of watching this happen, I've noticed something. When I was a broker, and I was one for 25 years, it was the private placements, the uh, non-traded real estate deals, the other alternative investments that would offer to pay me absurdly high commissions. And I mean, and and whoever it is that you're, if you're working with a, a financial advisor or broker or whatever you're calling him this week, or her, they may not even realize the thing they're offering carries phenomenal risk. What they do know is they get paid a lot more to sell that than they do something that's plain Jane and relatively safe. Yeah. This is where asking what the price differential is. What do you get paid on this versus on that? That's a good question to ask someone mm-hmm. when you're buying things. I think it's and really they, important to ask. If they dodge the question, leave. If they don't, if they can't give you a really solid answer, if you put this much money in here, I'll get that much money total. And, and by the way, include other stuff besides their initial cash. Um, and that's and that is a big issue. And we've got another question that came in. Oh, this one's from Mark uh, from Harker Heights. You gave a shout out to Harker Heights earlier, so I guess they're answering. Um, Mark says, how does the cost of gasoline compare to the cost of charging an EV on your home electric service? Um, It doesn't. The cost of gasoline is much higher, much, much higher for individual charging. That's not where the cost comparison needs to be. Um, The overall lifetime cost of the car is what you should be looking at. Mm -hmm. And that means you look at, again, some assumptions. We don't know what gas is going to be next year. We don't know. We can say if it's the same price as today and you would say, well, that's a really high price. How can you compare it? A year ago, gas prices were much lower. And two years ago, they were around the same much lower level. The numbers on electric cars 
when compared like vehicle to like vehicle. What does that mean? Most electric cars are in the luxury bracket right now. They are not in the, oh, this is affordable for everyone bracket. But when you compare like to like over the lifetime of the car, not the gas purchases alone and the charging alone, but what does it cost to keep the thing in good repair? Uh, How often do you have to get oil changes? All of that stuff gets factored into it. And two years ago, for the first time, in almost every category where an electric vehicle existed, it was cheaper to own the electric vehicle. With costs going up for gasoline, that's getting magnified. Um, The problem is that being more cost-effective in the luxury category doesn't mean a whole lot to your average citizen. As new types of electric vehicles hit the market, It becomes more cost effective when you're talking about owning an average vehicle rather than a luxury vehicle. We're not quite there yet. So that's the big question. When people are asking, am I going to save more on gas by getting an electric? It depends. Were you going to buy a BMW or a Mercedes? Mm. In that case, you're going to spend less on a Tesla than on the BMW. But if you're about to buy a Toyota, Well, Toyota's about to start releasing a whole bunch of electric line vehicles, and they have a better battery right now than Tesla does. It's just not in mass production yet. Their solid-state battery is about 280% more effective for energy density than the Tesla battery. They just haven't (laughs) built any cars with it yet. So once they start building cars, the overall cost in the Toyota range, Toyota's main market is not luxury. So they're going to want to come out with some stuff that isn't in direct competition with Tesla. Tesla's, all of its lines right now, even the ones that are supposed to be in the the affordable range, are not something that you're going to buy if you work at a convenience store. It's not something you're going to buy when you work at Walmart. It's not something you're going to buy if you're an accountant, probably. This is something that is like a doctor bought it. And yeah, it's a lot more cost effective than the BMW. So keep that in mind when we're talking about new technology coming. Um, well, I was just going to say, I was going to add to that. It's Take a look at the, very simply, if you're looking at buying an electric vehicle, they cost about, in 2018, there's a good study, another one in 2020, that indicate that if you keep them for seven years, um, the cost of electricity versus the cost of fuel, and fuel was cheaper than it is now, obviously, was about half of what it was today. Now, it's really simple. Uh, you can look at the kilowatt hours that thing is going to take based on the miles you drive, and you can look at your cost of electricity, and you can say over a five-year period or a seven-year period, this is what it's going to cost me. And you can also figure up how much it's going to cost you to put gasoline in a similar vehicle over the same time period. And you can do the math on that. And then you can look at the difference in cost on the day and look at the car payments. If you net a savings over that time period and you keep it over that time period, the electric vehicles are generally less expensive. There's two other factors that, f- that fit in here too. One is insurance. Insurance tends to be less on an electric vehicle. Uh, that's kind of weird. People are like, why is that? Well, because they tend to get into less accidents. So are the maintenance and repair costs. Uh, there are a lot fewer moving parts in an electric vehicle than there in, is in internal combustion. It sounds like we're piling on and saying internal combustion is bad or something. It's, it's just two different technologies. 
they have different uses. I've, I know people that use a Tesla SUV as their ranch vehicle. Was that cost effective? Absolutely not. It was a $100,000 vehicle that they purchased to run around on their ranch with. Now, it does a good job towing their ranch trailer. It does a good job getting them around on the ranch. You can push a button and you get all this clearance. You're way up off the ground. It's really cool. But when you could have bought an $18,000 used pickup truck to do the same thing, cost effectiveness goes out the window. Now, for them, their business farm to market doing organic produce when they show up in in a Tesla with their sticker on the door and a big farm trailer behind it, they're noticed. So the marketing benefit has been far more than the cost effective benefit of having an electric. But those two other things with insurance and, uh, and maintenance, maintenance on electric vehicles is a lot less. And people always bring this up. Well, what about the replacement of batteries? Well, I recommend you go and talk to people that have actually had to do that in their vehicle. And often it's under warranty. When it isn't, it's less expensive than a full engine overhaul. So, and it's done about the same time period that you would normally have to do a full engine overhaul. So again, cost effectiveness on repair, even on the battery front, it's much better in the luxury category. (laughs) We're coming down into the lower categories. It's not there yet. We're getting there. When you do your calculations, recognize that there are extra fees imposed by the state if you have an electric vehicle. Yes. Because you're not paying the gasoline tax they're going to charge you a bunch more Texas. uh, You may also have a subsidy from the U S government as soon as you buy it. And that can run in the tens of thousands of dollars. So it's, it it is a complex answer. And like Texas is, I think Texas has a fee. I don't have an electric vehicle, so I don't know. They have a fee on electric vehicles that you have to pay when you buy it to pay for the fact that you're not, um, paying gasoline taxes and we're about out of time this is the personal wealth coach with jeff and jake mcclure uh if you would like to talk to us off the air we actually give individually uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve that's generally portfolio management and portfolio management and that's generally for people with higher net worths but we make exceptions occasionally um and so you can contact us locally voicemail available during the weekend but actual real live people no phone tree during the week at 254-947-1111 you can reach that line tool free at 1-800-914-7526 that's 800-914-PLAN and i think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm we don't work for a corporation we only work for our clients right exactly uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach. <laughs>